Boys and ghouls, welcome to episode 79 of Dads in the Crypt, the Tales in the Crypt podcast. My name is Jason, and tonight I'm joined by Jody. Hello. And Mondo. Hi. 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 And tonight we have two great guests for you. First, his name is Maynard. He's from the Reels of Justice Reels of Justice podcast. Say that five times fast. How's I it know. going? <laughs> Good. And we'll, we'll get to all, the, all your uh, background stuff in a minute. Um, and then we also have filmmaker and podcast producer, Joe Russo. Hello. Hello. Okay. Uh, we got a lot to get to tonight. So first, Maynard, uh, Reels of Justice. Tell us about it. Uh, it is a, a fake, the official fake movie court, right? So every week we have a guest on who faces off against one of our four hosts as either prosecutor or defense of a movie of their choice. So they pick a movie, they want to defend it. I know you were on, you did Bordello of Blood, you wanted to uh, to prosecute it. Uh, and then one of us takes the other side, whatever it is, we just take it. Um, and the other three act as a judge and jury. Uh, and uh, both sides will argue their case, whether the movie deserves to be considered a bad movie. Remember, that's a low bar. Mediocre <laughs> movies get off. You got to prove you're a bad movie. Um, and uh, and then we sentence the movie to sometimes to movie hell, sometimes just to uh, various amusing punishments. Yeah, I, I had a great time uh, going there. It's I, I, it might be one of the most research in like free prepare, preparation and like I pre-wrote my statements and everything. <laughs> um, a lot of work, but I had a really, really fun time. Um, yeah, and we also we had um, Gil Adler come on and uh, do a little bit about uh, his opinion. He we I called him as a witness. Yes, he was that. called to the witness. Usually, uh, we don't have a ton of witnesses. A lot of times, if I call a witness, it's me doing a funny voice, <laughs> uh, like I've called M Mario to the stand and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but uh, but to actually have someone who worked on the film who wanted to speak out against it, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was a first for us. Right, and actually, I, I put the video on our YouTube channel, so if anybody wants to check that out. Um, but also, I, I, I really enjoy your podcast. I love podcasts that have a gimmick more than a bunch of people sitting around saying, oh, this is cool, that sucked. Um, yeah, I really like, I really like a gimmick behind the podcast. And like I was <laughs> earlier today, I was listening to your uh, Star Wars New Hope versus Empire Strikes Back episode, and hmm. you don't dodge the tough ones. No, no, we, we like to go from, I mean, I've defended like Battlefield Earth and stuff like that. <laughs> um, so, uh, but yeah, that was, an, that was an interesting and fun one. Occasionally we'll do those head-to-heads. Mm -hmm. Like if someone wants to talk about a good movie, we're like, well, we can't pro have you prosecute a good movie. You'll have to defend it against another good movie. So it's kind of like a boxing match and we pick our favorite like that. Yeah, I really want to hear you do the. Uh, you mentioned Godfather Two versus Empire Strikes Back. That would be uh, interesting. Well, no, the, hmm. no, we're gonna do Godfather Part Two versus Godfather Part One. No, but then you gotta put the other two together. You gotta, you gotta uh, do a maybe we might do the King of the Ring tournament final, like, but then we'd have to get those specific representatives back. Yeah, you know. So, um, and then while we're still on you, uh, tell us about your experience with Tales from the Crypt. 
Uh, I just uh, sometimes I was lucky enough to watch it as a kid. <laughs> um, not not all that often, but if I was able to stay up late enough and and nobody stopped me, I would be able to catch some episodes. Um, but it's something I more watched uh, like in college and and, uh, and some DVD more eventually uh, less uh, you know more illicit means sometimes. Um, but uh, but how, whatever it took to uh, to be able to watch it. So uh, it's just a fun show in general. I like anthology horror. Um, you know. I, I'll I'll watch like Thriller and um, uh, Night Gallery and stuff like that. So um, you know I I'm drawn to those kind of like shorter stories, um, quick one and done. So uh, Tales from the Crypt was just like kind of a no brainer. And do you have any uh, favorite episodes? Um, I can't remember the name of it. It's got Demi Moore, and I love oh, Demi Moore. Uh, so. Dead right? Is that Dead Right? I think dead so. Right, yeah. I think, yeah. It's season yeah. one, right? Um, uh, that's season two. Is that? And then it's got to be very uh, early season yeah, right? two, I think. Well, there's the one with Leah Thompson that's very similar, so people get the two mixed up. Oh, okay, but, maybe that is it. Um, but yeah, no, I like, I like, I like. That's the one a great one. Anymore. All right, and then let's move over over to you, Joe. Uh, tell us about what you do. What I do? Uh, well, I'm a, a writer, director, and producer of uh, a couple movies, including a uh, horror anthology I produced, which seems on brand, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> called Nightmare Cinema. Uh, and, uh, and then I, I, you know, in the podcast space, I produce a podcast called postmortem with Mick Garris, uh, which, you know, spoilers. I I think I know why you asked me to come on the podcast today. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And then what's your uh, experience with Tales from the Crypt? My experience with Tales from the Crypt is, uh, I was very young when it was running initially, uh, and my parents, my dad specifically, uh, he thought HBO was too expensive. So we didn't have HBO. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I, I thought HBO was something that like rich people had. So, uh, so, <laughs> yep, and, uh, so I really it. only, I really only ever saw it when I went over, uh, you know, friend's house at sleepovers and stuff, but I was obsessed with the Crypt Keeper. I loved the look. I loved the puns. Like it, it, it fed into kind of my gateway horror. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, in, in college, uh, that's probably when I saw the bulk of them. And, you know, I'm a big uh, Christmas horror fan. So mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you that uh, Robert Zemeckis and Fred Decker's collaboration in the uh, the original first three episodes, uh, that's, that's probably peak for me. Nice. Yeah. Okay, and then this is going to sound like the Mick Garris uh, episode because we're just going to keep talking about him, but all for good reason. Obviously, this episode was directed by Mick Garris, we're going to talk about tonight. And actually, we have an uh, interview I did with Mick Garris that is on the podcast uh, feed right now with a great conversation. We talked about Video Drone, uh, Critters 2. Uh, the Shining. Um, we talked about this episode and a ton of other things. Hocus Pocus, which mm-hmm. you know, it's a great thing that just kind of comes up every once in a while. Um, so go check that out too after you listen to this. Uh, but let's get into it. We're gonna talk about the episode Whirlpool, which came out. I guess this is the third episode that came out on the same night, Halloween, nineteen ninety four. Jody, give us a plot synopsis. All right. I don't know if this one's easy or difficult to plot synopsize. Uh, <laughs> It gets to say the same thing a bunch, but also a little bit, a little bit twisty here. 
All right, so we open on the Crypt Keeper giving interior design um, advice. So that's something you've got now. And then in our main story, we see a woman who is smoking in her bathroom before we hear a gruff man's voice inviting her to get in the tub with him. And I just have to point out, this man is in the tub with a full button-up <laughs> shirt on, a pair of shorts, and a t-shirt. I don't know what's happening, but he How is... Do you, how do you take baths? <laughs> <laughs> take baths and wash clothes at the same time. It's a time saver. Saves time. This guy is an innovator. Uh, but anyway, suddenly a man strangles the man who's sitting in the tub, and then those two argue, and the, the man in the tub supposedly dead man jumps up and strangles them both. And we find out that this is actually a scene from a Tales from the Crypt comic. We're in the bullpen. Uh, you've got the editor. You've got uh, some writers all standing around looking at it. And everyone's confused by this comic, which I don't, I don't understand why they're confused. It seems pretty straightforward. Dead man comes back, strangles people. But they do it as nudity. Yeah. He, he definitely didn't strangle them long enough to kill them, let's be honest. Like, you, have, you have to keep that chokehold on for quite a while. I, I don't. Mondo is our. Yeah, I don't want to know. <laughs> but it's uh, a hobby. No, uh, everyone's very confused for some reason. Uh, but they they all hate it. Basically, is is the point here? It's uh, written by a woman named Rolanda, and uh, her boss Vern uh, says it's a piece of shit. Uh, we get an appearance from Al Katz on screen, which is something we don't get very often. He's one of the other writers uh, named Iggy. And uh, Vern calls Rolanda into his office, chews her out, saying she used to be one of his best, but she's lost it now. She needs to start drinking again, he tells her. <laughs> and uh, then he tells her to clean out her desk and call security to throw her out. And they literally throw her out. Like, the, the actress takes a good fall uh, as they toss her out. Uh, later, we see somebody walking through the office when there's nobody else there but Vern. And it's Rolanda, and she said, I've taken your advice. She's been at a local bar. She's drinking. She says, I've got a new story for you about a woman who loses her job and then snaps. And at that point, she pulls a gun on Vern, tells him to beg on his knees before firing several shots and killing him. She gets the elevator to leave, but when she gets to the lobby, there's like a whole police squad waiting for her, uh, and they shoot her immediately. <laughs> Just repeated like ten shots. It's it's intense it's, uh, for it's police almost, that just happen to be there waiting. Yeah, it's almost like modern policing. That's why. Sure. <laughs> All right. So uh, after being shot to death, Rolanda wakes up in bed in the morning. Over on her desk is the comic Whirlpool, and uh, then we're back in the bullpen again. And once again, the same scene is playing out. Uh, she's telling them about the comic. Everyone hates it. She gets fired. Somewhere in the midst of all this, though, she tells Vern something strange is happening. I've had a dream like this, but he just continues on like before. Later that night, Rolanda's in her house. She's loading up her gun. But she sets it down and goes to the office without her gun. Uh, she hasn't been drinking. And she talks to Vern again, pitches the same story about a woman who loses her job and then snaps. But then suddenly Vern pulls a gun. And makes her get down on her knees. Ugh. And uh, he pulls the trigger. She pushes his hand away so he misses. And there's a struggle. A shot is fired. Vern gets shot and dies. Again, she gets on the elevator and is shot by 50 to 60 policemen in the lobby. <laughs> it's not that many, but it, it seems. <laughs> I, I believe the second time she gets off on 13th floor. 
Yeah, she gets Ooh. left on a different floor. They're still there. Still shot. They're still there on the 13th floor for some reason, yes. Apparently, they are waiting on every floor with an entire <laughs> squadron for this woman who shot someone 30 seconds ago. Uh, I mean, security uh, in that building was pretty good, too. They got there super quick to throw her out, so. Yeah, they <laughs> come throw her out. Five seconds later, the man is there. This this is a heavily armed comic book office. I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, the EC Comics spares no expense. I guess. I don't think they had any money. <laughs> it was well, their entire run. That's where it all went. So yeah, <laughs> all the security. Security. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, after dying again, she wakes up in her room again, and this time she just tears up that comic and uh, calls the office and says, "I'm not coming in today," which is a great strategy. Um, but the doorbell rings, and Vern is there at her house looking for the story, which. I'd have some problems if my boss showed up in my house telling me I've got work uh, late. Like, we're going to have to have some meetings with somebody to keep that from happening. HR is really armed. This is before yeah. HR. Before HR. <laughs> but uh, Vern shows up there. He's looking for the story. He yells at her and then fires her and pulls a gun on her. Why? I don't know. Pulls a gun on her. And then he turns it on himself and shoots himself again. Why? But he does it. And then the cops all run into the room. And this time they don't shoot her. They arrest her. Well, her first we... reaction to him shooting himself is to grab the gun out of his hands and hold yeah. it like she's a shooter. <laughs> yeah. So little piece of dad advice. If you're ever in that situation, don't pick up the gun. There you go. That's some good advice for you. <laughs> Uh, but it didn't work for her because she's lined up in front of a firing squad while her two co-workers are standing there to watch it. I guess they invited them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're saying the same lines they said earlier. And uh, she, know, she says, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to get shot and I'll wake up in my room again. And the firing squad shoots her. But then we're back in the bullpen and it turns out that whole scene in the firing squad was a comic that they were looking at in the office. And this time... Vern is the artist and the writer, and Rolanda is the editor who is yelling at him for turning in this stupid comic about the person getting shot by the firing squad. And even the other writers are different. There's there's no longer uh, A.L. Katz and some other guy. There's a woman, and I'm pretty sure that other guy's Mick Garris. Am I right about that? Yeah, I think it's Mick yeah. and his wife. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, we, we get Mick Garris in on camera there, too. And uh, then she, uh, Rolanda tells Vern to uh, get in his office. Vern says, oh, shit. And then it got like, spins out. And that's the end. The whirlpool. All right. I'll Thank you, so. Jody. Thank you, Jody. All right. Let's go to our review. Uh, Joe, why don't you start us off? What did you think of this episode? Well, I, you put me in a very awkward spot because I <laughs> Uh, one of my producing partners uh, episodes. No, you know, I thought it was really fun. Um, it's uh, it's it's interesting. You know, it came out what a year after Groundhog Day. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it would be really interesting, I think, to find out. Uh, you know, from from Mr. Katz, uh, what how much of that was conceived before Groundhog Day? How much of this was a reaction to Groundhog Day? Um, but I think, you know, Mick, you could tell, was having a lot of fun in the directing. Um, he really leaned into, I think, the almost cartoonish comic book mm -hmm. side of Tales from the Crypt. You know, like, 
some of the, the camera moves and the push-ins and uh, it's all big and broad and, and, you know, it lets you know that you can have fun with it. And, and I did, you know, I think he, uh, um, I'm very curious and I might be stepping on some toes about where we're going, but he, you know, he, it sounds like he came up with the idea of switching the genders of the characters in the, in the final section. And I'm so curious and I'll probably have to like muscle him down and ask him, uh, what the original ending was, you know? Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, a it's fun. It's like, it's a, it's a very meta episode. Uh, mm-hmm. and you know, as, as someone who, uh, you know, really came into horror movies during the scream era, I can, I can appreciate that. Uh, so yeah, I, I thumbs up from me. Uh. <laughs> All right, Maynard, go ahead. Well, one, uh, you know, some of the thoughts I had on the synopsis. See, I interpreted some of it differently. I, I, I didn't think that the the ending was the fourth stage. I thought that segments one, two, and three were all part of the story that Vern had always been turning in. So and she'd I did never that. Yeah, I did she'd never that. been a writer. Um, and he wrote a story about how she, his his editor in reverse positions get stuck in this cycle of never ending violence that she can't ever avoid. Um, obviously the parallels to groundhog day are there. If we do choose to accept that it all happens in reality within the story and she dies and just winds up back in bed. I also could see an interpretation of it actually being dreams within dreams, within dreams that become premonitions, in which case we can kind of look at it like a final destination idea. She sees what her death is going to be that day, but she has the opportunity to change it only to realize that that was another dream sequence and she can go and change it again and again. But the ending's always the same, right? The whirlpool, it all ends in the drain at the end. So she's inevitably going to get killed. Um, probably as we talked about the least, um, the least believable thing in the film is the police response time. Uh-huh. Police never get there that fast. Uh, you know, I'd want to live in that city. Um, you <laughs> <laughs> well i'm not a killer they, joe they so start yes. shooting they start shooting very fast yeah they, did, they didn't even know if it was her yeah well what era does this take place because i i definitely you get that kind of 50s vibe and i know it yeah, is it is it is meant to be in the 50s i yeah, can confirm that 50s bullpen fill for sure right yeah absolutely so um you know, I firing her is probably kind of believable that security gets her out of there pretty quick. I don't know that the police would shoot a woman in the 50s at all, even if they <laughs> caught her, even if they caught her like with a bloody knife in her hand. I don't think they would do it. Like I said, that's kind of leans into the cartoonish nature of just the whole thing. It's all it's all very over the top and surreal, even from the opening mm-hmm. couple frames. Yeah, yeah, I think when when I talked to Mick, he said he wanted to be he definitely wanted to be funny, but not like obviously funny more like situationally funny yeah it is funny because it's just like uh, no matter what she tries to change mm-hmm. it's always ends the same way where it's like groundhog's day he has control over generally whatever he does he just can't leave the town but he could just stay in bed all day if he wanted to one day and and right. he does a few times and nothing forces him out of bed the only inevitable thing is that he wakes back up the same morning mm-hmm. um and so she has really no control over situation. So if anything, it's it might be a humorous play on the Groundhog Day idea. I don't see it as like a direct lift or anything. Um, it is funny. Uh, Richard Lewis does a lot of the uh, heavy lifting for the humor there, but um, 
uh who's the main star i can't i gotta look uh, really read there yes uh she's she's very funny in in her characters like but again they're two comedians and they're not like telling jokes they're just really like overselling yeah yeah premise. but in but for um, again I, for like a dark humor perspective Yes, and I did like the meta of not only the Tales from the Crypt being the comic book because they could have easily greeked it up and you know and done you know stories from the grave or something, but they they deliberately wanted to do Tales from the Crypt. Um, and I also like uh, they make a reference to another episode, right? The Secret with Vampire mm-hmm. versus versus Werewolves. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of poking fun at themselves too, like ah, don't do that Vampire Werewolf story. I hate that story. Uh. Um, so overall, yeah, it's meta, it's fun, um, it's sort of a quirky take on, I think, that Groundhog Day trope or the Final Destination idea, which I think Twilight Zone did first. Um, so yeah, I, I'll give it a thumbs up. It's a it's a funny, lively little episode. All right, uh, Jody. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed this one. It's like we've said already very cartoony in the way that it does things. Like I really love the shot of her opening or waking up in her bed every morning, the way it kind of like zooms out up to the ceiling, very artistic comic booky looking. And it's, and a lot of things work that way in this one. Like uh, when it fades from real life into the comic book, the times that we realize that we're actually watching a comic. One thing I really like when tales from the crypt makes fun of themselves by making what looks like a typical tales episode. So uh, it's at the beginning of demon night and it's here too. You've got a bathroom, you've got boobs, you've got someone coming back from the dead. And that a hundred percent feels like they're going, this is what you expect from us. Right. And then they do their own thing afterwards. And I I love when they do that because it's just got that touch of meta humor there that I, I really enjoy, but yeah, no, definitely meta. Uh, you know, kind of a precursor to Happy Death Day, technically, when uh, people keep dying and waking up the same day. So, you know, Groundhog Day, Happy Death Day, Final Destination. I can see all of that in this. I the, the episode leaves a lot of room for interpretation as to what actually happened in it. I think you're just supposed to enjoy the ride more than anything, <laughs> because uh, in these 20 minutes, frequently there's a lot of questions left behind. But uh, you can be pretty forgiving when you're watching Tales from the Crypt. All right, Mondo. Uh, Mondo, you're on mute. Where's your microphone? Go out. Oh, God damn it. No, no. I'll there you go. Okay. Uh, uh, Jody, are you, are you drinking a Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream? I am. Dude, it's so good. Like, if that doesn't stay year round, I'm going to be very upset. Yeah, no, it, it straight up tastes like oh. topping from like a uh, like a strawberry shortcake or something. Like, it's it's intense. Yeah, yeah I saw that. And he's can. got Benny Loves You behind him, too. He does. That's right. I'm, I'm always very jealous <laughs> of that because I did not make the pre-order. Now you can get them for like $1,000 on eBay. <laughs> I have one of those. I have one of those in my living room. I'll sell it to you for $999. That's oh, a deal. It's a deal. <laughs> I'm going to pass, but let me get a couple more beers in me and we'll talk. Because I, when, when I have enough beer in me, I'm rich, apparently. He's an experienced <laughs> eBay seller. You can buy with confidence. <laughs> <laughs> I'll need tracking. Um <laughs> But yeah, I I like this episode. Uh, I, it's it's a comic book. It feels like a comic book. It's it's one of the episodes that really makes you kind of step into those into those pages. And like everybody else said, the, the the twist at the end, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was kind of a cool way with the with the gender reverse. Um, I wish M Night Shyamalan would watch this and see how to do a twist really well. 
Uh, that'd be that'd be pretty cool. Um, I'm sorry, I just watched Knock at the Cabin, so I'm, I'm pretty I salty. I loved it. No, uh, don't make, don't no, make no spoilers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, oh, I liked shit. it. No, no, I really liked it, and one of my best friends wrote it. So. No spoilers. Yeah, I loved. Well. No spoilers, but I love Dave Batista. Oh my God, he's so good. Mm -hmm. Um, he's so great. And and what's funny is I will tell you right now, if I Prefer didn't, Blue Batista. <laughs> Batista was the best. When he just. We're gonna talk about wrestling. Sorry, when he just <laughs> when he just leaned when he just leaned into that bad guy heel character of being like, yeah, it's so good. You have this guy who's six four and looks like a killer, and he's all like dressed to the nines and talking about his feelings. It was amazing. Um, but uh, uh, knock of the cabin, I will say, if you as reading the book, I think that's why I was disappointed in it. If I never read the book, I would not have any complaints. Probably. Sure. Sure. No. Without spoiling it, it has a radically different ending. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what I and that's what I like because it means that two separate stories in the same universe exist. One on yep. film, one in book. Both are valid. Absorb mm -hmm. both, and it's like an alternate reality of the same situation. That's why I dug it. If you liked what the yeah. book did, you can read that that day. If you want to do the yep. what the movie did, you can you can watch oh, the yeah. movies. So. By no means, I tell people not to watch it because I do think it's a really well done movie. And uh, and again, like what I didn't like about it is if someone's never read the book, they're not going to care. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, no, no. When 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 uh, Steve and Mike did their first draft of it, it was more one to one to the book. Yeah, uh, but I do think like the book in their original draft was much more like an indie horror movie, and mm, I do sure. think Shyamalan mm. did a good job with an ending that will work for most people. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, and, and so I, I, you know, like that's kind of how I look at it, which I, I think is kind of similar to what you guys are saying too. But but. Uh, um, oh. Yeah, it was it was a uh, I I really I really liked it. So. And the, the casting choices were fantastic, and all the all the characters did. God, they, the acting was great. And I loved. Really good. Yeah, one of, one of Shyamalan's best in a long time. Yeah, as, as a movie again, as someone who didn't like the ending, I would never tell him not to watch it because I think I still think it's very valid and still stands alone on its own. But that's me being salty. And he also did the village, and I can talk about the village for days. But not guilty. Okay, we're not guilty in the reels of justice. Yeah, I'll guilty in the reels of justice. Yeah, I would say I'll defend uh, the village. It's, it's they are not guilty. I'll, I'll prosecute it, but <laughs> too late. Already not guilty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't do appeals. Yeah, we can't That's do double it. jeopardy. Wait, you you, can't got, do you double guys jeopardy. don't do. Wait, you don't do appeals on the episodes? No. I feel like you know what? When you start running out of episodes, though, you're gonna start doing. But, but that would be uh, double jeopardy. There's a great <laughs> podcast I, I listen to called The Rewatchables, and uh, they, they've, they've been doing reheats where they, they, mm. they reheat a rewatchable because they need to talk about it again. Anyway. So, <laughs> one day one yeah. day maybe we'll look at appeals of justice, but not quite. <laughs> <laughs> so Mondo, Whirlpool. Oh, yeah. Let's get back to the episode. No, I was I was a fan of this, and it was a fun episode. Like I, said, in, I can't really talk anymore about what you guys already talked about because all, all of you kind of gave my thoughts on this. Um, where I, I just love when Tales of Tales from the Crypt feels like a comic book, and you do have like the comedic actors kind of just let able to let loose, and I, I love Richard Lewis. I, I never really loved him growing up, but then I started watching Curb Your Enthusiasm and just kind of fell in love with him and how he's yes. like just a grumpy man. <laughs> yeah. like, like I, I would I, in, in in watching Curb Your Enthusiasm, I feel like that's like how he is in real life, how Larry David is in real life, and how they treat each other. So I think it's it's even better. Um, Rita Rudner, I thought was really great in this too, and um, an overall just a really really fun episode. The one thing I didn't catch is he keeps saying, "Is that when he keeps saying, hey, just do that one comic that you already wrote and throw it to press'?" Was that yeah. based on a real comic or a real episode? 
I don't remember that one where he says someone wants to be the head of the company, so they cut his head off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think that's like a like a throwaway. Like, okay, yeah. Obvious, like tells the that seems too on. dumb, even for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It should have been an episode, right? <laughs> you could have had what was his name, a carrot top in there, or uh, or Paulie Shore or somebody. Uh, <laughs> you could have jumped right all right right over that. Uh, and I do love man. I love I love the wraparound on this. I love the Crypt Keeper like in his little house. And I just, mm-hmm. I, I really just want, I want someone to make TV shows, the Crypt Keeper going shopping now for home, pro- like at Home Depot, trying to buy paint colors and getting upset <laughs> like, when he um, can't find someone with the key. Like <laughs> the, this uh, old house with the Crypt Keeper? Yeah. <laughs> Where he's just buying stuff to decorate his little house in Los Angeles. And, but I don't want him to be buying grotesque things. I want him to pick out like a nice wallpaper and some nice paint and like just, you know, I want him at home trying to put together a table from Ikea and just getting pissed off. But that's, uh, that's what I want from, uh, from Al and, and Gil. So if they can get the rights to the Crypt Keeper, just make that happen, Jason. Ooh, <laughs> the rights to Tales from the Crypt mm-hmm. are so messy, guys. Oh, yeah, my we know. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you do. I've, I've, I've looked into it a couple times over the years and oh, it's rough. Yeah, Jason actually interviewed some lawyers about it. Oh, really? Yeah, who yeah we have uh, two. We call them State of the Crypt episodes. And... Oh, man. So, yeah, so you know. You're, I know. Your listeners know. It's, uh, I'm afraid, but, I'm afraid but, it's never going to get on time. Well, no. here's here's my thing, and, that, and that's, I'll do this as my review. I love when they do, like, from the, from the office of EC Comics, because mm-hmm. they did another one, uh, Corman's Calamity, which is kind of the same setup. If they were going to do some sort of reboot or something connected. This will, this is the format I would do, or just have it all kind of start in the offices of EC comics. And then kind of, it would spin off into like whatever tale. So I mean, everyone loves uh, the, are you afraid of the dark kind of thing? Instead of Mm -hmm. the midnight submitted, you get the bullpen (laughs) submitted for the editor's approval. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So like everyone loves the Crypt Keeper, but I just can't see the rights to that ever being, like well, the right the rights to the Crypt Keeper as shown on on Tales from the Crypt, the TV show by HBO. I, uh, I never say, say never, but anytime soon, I don't see those rights ever being usable. But you could do from from the offices of EC Comics, and that's but, that's the angle I would take. Have you confirmed that with the lawyers? <laughs> that's I mean, no, like, like well, again back to Shyamalan, he had the rights to EC right. Comics. Yeah, he I did not that. have the rights again to the Crypt Keeper likeness as shown on the show, and that's kind of what shut it down. Yeah. Well, I think the hard thing yeah. is anyone that's going to want to put money into that project is going to want the Crypt Keeper. Yeah. Right. You can't just put some old British guy in a hood like the. <laughs> but um, oh. as far as this, yeah, the, as far as I will say thing. though, the Scaretaker is available. There you <laughs> go. And and intellectually distinct. There we go. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, everything we said about this episode, uh, the cam work is really good. It's funny. It's got those big performances that you want out of a Tales from the Crypt episode. Uh, I think Mick said that Richard Lewis is a big horror buff, so he was Ooh. had a really really fun time on this. Uh, Rita Rudner, I think, probably enjoyed the, being like the lead in something like this. Well, I, I read somewhere this was her first TV performance. Like she'd always done stand up and stuff. This oh wow! Was her first, like, yeah, I could see that. Or she was she did a lot of writing and yeah. she wrote novels, but this might have been one of her first like in front of the camera. So I think you're right. She really uh, went for this, and again. As someone who's hung out with all cats, you know, on quite a few times now, it's really cool kind of going to the time machine um, and seeing him. And I, I've already heard his little segment for this. I won't spoil much, but, you know, he originally wanted to be an actor. Um, but he, but you know, the, he ended up being a writer. So, like, it was kind of cool to see him flex his acting muscle. 
um, in this opportunity. But you'll, you'll hear more about that. Um, and again, I thought Mick does a great job with it, bringing out um, the absurdity in some of these situations. Um, and again, I, I like to go over people's resume. Um, also, I just just to piggyback yeah. on that. Sorry, it also looks like a Mick Garris episode. Yeah, it does. It's, the lens does. choices feel very much in vogue with a lot of what he was doing at the time. He loves, you know, like really, really, really wide lenses, and I think mm-hmm. that's how he created that like crazy movement, those zoom ins and push ins on the bed and stuff. Like, um, you know, it, it it definitely has some like. Mick Garris hallmarks for sure. Uh, sure. He, he was playing in the crypt space, but he brought a lot of his own personality, his own cinematic personality to it. Yeah, and the camera's kind of always moving, which I really like. I don't, a static camera, I find really boring after a little bit. Yeah. Um, and again, just to go over some of his resume again, we already talked about Critters too. He did uh, Freddy's Nightmares, Psycho Four, Sleepwalkers, The Shining miniseries. He uh, created, executive produced Masters of Horror. He wrote Hocus Pocus, The Fly 2, Batteries Not Included. So he's such a great resume. And, you know, and again, anyone that's ever talked to him, seen him talk, he's just the nicest, most complimentary guy. Oh. And then we're gushing over him, but he deserves to be gushed over. He does. We need more uh, mix in the world. He's he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know um, he's probably listening to this. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I've been I've been very lucky. I mean, I met Mick in 2014, mm-hmm. uh, and and we met on a general meeting where he brought up wanting to do a uh, reboot to Masters of Horror called Nightmare Cinema, and and that's how we met. Uh, that mm-hmm. was hard to believe that that was you know nine years ago. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, crazy. Actually, as the day of we're recording this, uh, we started shooting Nightmare Cinema six years ago today. Wow! Wow! Congratulations! Happy anniversary! Yeah, yeah, happy (laughs) shooting anniversary! Uh, And tomorrow's the sixth anniversary when we threw someone off a roof. So that was was pretty cool. You always remember your first. Um, Yes, that's right. And then um, a bunch of police showed up and shot us. Uh, (laughs) But I mean, also just to close the loop on that a little bit, I I love on the postmortem podcast how he's interviewing classic, like classic people from the genre, but also the new people. He had that Keela Cooper interview who wrote Megan and Malignant. It was such a great interview. And then he does the AMAs where he's like kind of giving like almost his own clinic on like filmmaking and screenwriting. Um, those are always very entertaining. It, it was cool because you see some of the filmmakers get kind of guess kind of grumpy as they get older, but it seems like Mick mm-hmm. has a lot of love for the genre and a lot of love for the the new school, like you said. And mm-hmm. um, it's it's cool. It's cool to see people that have you know done as much as he has uh, that are still uh, you know still find things to be excited about. He's he's a fan. He's a genuine fan. Yeah. He always yeah. has been. Even before he started his filmmaking, he broke in doing. Uh, interviews for the Z channel and for doing behind the scenes videos on, on some of your favorite movies from the eighties, like poltergeist and gremlins and goonies. And, um, you know, it, so he's, he's always come at it from just a pure love of cinema. Um, now that's not to say he, he loves everything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who does? <laughs> he and I get in some, some, some battles over things that we like and don't like, but, but, uh, yeah, no, he, when he finds something that he really loves, he is the biggest champion of those movies and series and those creators. And and it's and 
that is something that I've tried to take into my own, uh, you know, presence uh, in the community and, and on social mm-hmm. media and stuff too. I, I, you'll never see me bash something on Twitter. I'm, I'm always trying to, you know, lift people up. Um, yeah. So, you know, I actually might be a great guest for the, uh, the, the show mm-hmm. where I have to tell you why I have bad movies good. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not, it's not bad till you find it guilty, but yeah, we, we'd love yeah. to have you on. Absolutely. We, we'll, we'll get your info on here. Well, I think what's interesting about the internet too is like we've, I've talked about it before. Like, I don't care if someone doesn't like a movie, but, um, but the, when people start attacking, like the people that made the movie, like this person's a terrible, like I, I was giving M night Shyamalan shit. I love signs. I love unbreakable. I like, yeah. I, I've never seen the sixth sense. Um, I, I love, yeah, my, my mom spoiled the, the day the movie came out on VHS. My mom watched the movie and spoiled it for me. Uh, she's wow. a terrible mom for a lot of reasons, but that ranks up there. Uh, <laughs> My friend spoiled it in the theater. We were watching it together, oh, and he no. leaned over and went, "He's dead." <laughs> he guessed. He guessed. Oh, no. <laughs> guessed. I mean, look, as someone who's had uh, has a couple movies that are are not beloved on his resume, I you know, like, look, it's never fun when people just like, yeah, tweet at you to tell you how much you suck. Uh, especially you know when you were just the writer and you maybe had nothing to do with. Uh, what they did to your movie after that point. So <laughs> yeah, you can say like, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of this movie. Not let me tag the director and everyone that worked on it. So they know yeah. how much I think they suck. Like it's, it's just, yeah. or, or in people, the thing I hate is when people will bash someone else for their opinion. Like if you say you don't uh-huh. like a movie, like, Oh, you're a fucking idiot. How do you not like that movie? It's well, cause I watched it and just didn't like it. It's okay. Like, yeah, <laughs> I tell people, I tell people, well, the thing that is wild to me is sometimes you'll see people on social media who are like, they want to be a screenwriter or they want to be a director. Yeah. They're out there being like, I don't know, like a week ago, this guy was like, Babylon sucks. And I'm like, practice this phrase. It's not for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That, well, that happens to us sometimes because we'll, we'll find, we'll say, I didn't like this movie. But I don't know if that makes it bad, you know. Yeah, I right. see this having value for someone else and that might be a not guilty from us. Or, right. or I voted movies that I've liked. I voted them guilty because yeah. this was yeah. this was a ton of fun. I had a blast. I'm going to watch this again, but I think it might be stupid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite yeah. movies is Jason Ten. I love that movie. Love One Jason. Favorite movies. Love yeah. Jason. But X. if you told me it's a bad movie, I'd be like, mm, yeah, definitely. But I yes. love it. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but it's a good it's, bad movie. It's yeah. Fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's it's a absolutely but, a fun well, bad it's, movie. It's I have a theory that like every movie out there, there's it's someone's favorite movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. Don't believe that. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you, I, I experienced that as well, uh, Jason. Like, so, so a couple of years ago, we had uh, Don Mancini on the podcast. Mm. Uh, and if you don't know who Don is, he was the creator of Chucky, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 still runs the show even to this day. Um, but before he did that, he did a movie called Cellar Dweller, uh, oh, and, yeah. and and you know he is not, you know, I think like me, it's something he wrote and someone else made and he's not super happy maybe with mm-hmm. the end result. Uh, and, you know, he kind of writes it off, but he's like, but I go to conventions, and people come up to me and mm-hmm. they're like, I really love Cellar Dweller. And I sat there and I heard that and I was like, that's interesting. And then on the second anniversary of the Bruce Willis movie that I wrote, which, you know, did not end up the way I would have liked it to, uh, I had people reaching out telling me how much they liked it on social media. And I was like, 
this is wild. Like, <laughs> like, I was like, I was like, I don't think this is a very good movie, but like, I'm not going to tell them that, you know, like, look, like if they like it, if you like it, you like it, man. You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I think there is someone who likes every movie out there. Yeah. As far as it being their favorite, who, whose favorite movie is the Scorpion King four? Yeah. Who's that? <laughs> well, someone, if you go so, to Amazon and look up the reviews, <laughs> someone's going to say, Best movie ever. But I, Someone's I look, also going to say it's the worst yeah. movie ever. Yeah. I, I, I look at it like sometimes, I don't know for me at least, it also matters like when I saw a movie and the conditions I saw a movie yeah. in sometimes. Yeah, no, I, like, oh, yeah. I, I don't like Pulp Fiction. And I know it's blasphemy to a lot of people, but I watched it in a time when I wasn't going through really good stuff in my life and I was in a bad mental state. And whenever oh, yeah. I watch that movie again, that's what it reminds me of. So I don't appreciate it like I should. I'm not going to call it a bad movie. I'm going to say just... I don't like it because of these reasons. And on the other hand, like The Gate is one of my favorite horror movies because I remember watching it as a little kid, being terrified of it, watching it way too young, and it just sure. stuck with me, and I love everything about it. Um, so I think you have that one kid that, you know, it was the right weekend, you know, hanging out with mom and dad. They got they rented the Scorpion King. He's six years old. He loves the, is the rock Scorp- in that. Wait, Scorpion King 4. Is that Randy Couture? <laughs> <laughs> is that Randy Couture? He loves Randy Couture. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I can't remember which one he's in. <laughs> I do remember when Randy Couture did it. They had to um, CGI his cauliflower ears. Oh. <laughs> he, he might be in three. Okay. But not. But, I don't think he's in four. But you never know, maybe right. that's his favorite movie because that's just what he remembers. That's like that moment was the right yeah. moment for him. How about this way? I'm sure every movie someone's made a uh, gotten a tattoo tribute to. No. <laughs> I want to see who's who's got the Scorpion King Four tattoo. I mean, Leah Thompson is doing the convention rounds right now, and she posted on her Instagram someone had a Howard the Duck tattoo. That makes sense to me. Yeah. I, I, uh, we, we did Howard the Duck, and you know I won't spoil how it went out, but I, it had a lot of charm despite its reputation. Yeah. That, that's another movie I watched. Yeah, yeah. I watched real young, and I remember like I, I watch it again. I'm like, oh, it's a terrible movie, but man, does it make me happy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Tim Robbins. <laughs> yeah, that was a highlight. There was All a right. very short-lived uh, production company with um, a a filmmaker actor duo who were running it, and uh, they've since parted ways, and the company dissipated. But there was a a screenwriter who became like so excited about them and the company and the future that it held that he tattooed the name of the company on his. Oh own. no. <laughs> And now that company doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I, I think it might be better though when someone gets like a band tattoo and it comes out. Oh, those, that band's a bunch of racists. I wish oh, I didn't get this Pantera oh tattoo. God, that, would be, that would be worse. That would yeah. be. Worse. I gotta change this uh, now. Least, too. And, and also uh, the company Pantera. Yeah, company had a cool name too, so it could be worse. You know, yeah. it's not like you got like the Weinstein Company. <laughs> that would have been much worse. Uh, mention forever. But it's a good lesson. Don't tattoo a production company name on your arm. Well, now that they're defunct, <laughs> can he start it again? Uh, that's a really good question. I I don't there know. Something I for should the have lawyers. to ask uh, the lawyers. Yeah. Just 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 have him buy the if you can just have him get the LLC and he's like oh yeah that's my company. It's cool. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. All right, Jody, give us the uh, comic uh, comparison. All right, so this is a wild comic this time. I'll just mm-hmm. go ahead and preface with that. It comes from Vault of Horror number thirty-two, July nineteen fifty-three. Script and art by the same guy, Johnny Craig. And it's got a real distinctive art style. Like, I I really like the art on this one. But normally I have all this, like, typed out. I'm just going to describe what happens to this one because it's it's really hard to even explain what's going on. So we've got a woman 
I don't think she ever has a name. She, we're kind of telling yeah. it from her perspective. And she's seeing these three, like, monster demon things. Like, one has fire coming out of its head. One is a one-eyed, drippy-faced guy. And then another one has four eyes. And they're all asking her, what is your name? What is your name? What is your name? What is your quest? So she runs. <laughs> What's your favorite color? So she runs and jumps through a window while being pursued by these guys, climbs up some stairs and falls through a door that leads to like a big black pit. And then she's picked up by a giant like muscle monster man who drops her into a cauldron of boiling water. And she said she feels it like searing pain engulfed her. Boiling water burned her mouth, scalded her throat every time she cried out. And she thrashed torturously trying to climb out. And then the, the strong man lifts her up and then puts her into something where she's covered in ice. And uh, she freezes. And so boiling water, ice. Then Could she be a lobster? <laughs> there, there's this is just the start of this one we're, we're on page two here then she is strapped to some kind of like rack with her arms tied up above her head and this ghoulish old lady shows up with a needle and stabs her with the needle and a man comes in and saves her and he doesn't say anything but then he straps her down into an electric chair and electrocutes her and she dies again uh, after, so this is a very loose, loose adaptation. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> did did he at least give her a safe word first, or? Well, <laughs> just to, again, this is a 1953 comic for kids. It was before uh, safe words. <laughs> thousands of volts slam through her body, tearing and burning, destroying flesh, bone, and tissue. Thousands of volts pulsating, coursing through every fiber of her being, making her torso surge and strain at the straps that held her. So just all this stuff's happening, back and forth, back and forth. Then she's in a room that gets smaller and smaller and smaller until it's like squeezing her in, and she pops out of it. And then she's in kind of like a normal place, and there's these three doctors sitting around. They're talking to her and said, you have been having all these delusions. You are experiencing episodes of psychosis. Uh, the strong man who picked you up, that was just one of our uh, guys who works here. He was putting you in a hot bath and a cold bath to kind of shock Literally. you into having, uh, you know, therapy. Uh, the electric chair that you were in, that was actually electroshock therapy. Uh, a nurse was there to give you a shot. And so all of this, this is just you kind of going off in, in your psychosis. We're trying to help you. And as the three people are talking to her... One of them says, now, try, tell me who you are. Yes, who are you? What is your name? And then they morph into these monsters from the beginning, saying, what is your name? Who are you? What is your name? Who are you? And then she busts through the window again, knocking this cycle back into uh, action, back to the very first panel of this comic. And so it's this whirlpool of her own psychosis dragging her through monsters that aren't even there and situations that she's misinterpreting anyway it's a wild comic like it does not follow narrative structure it just things happen and then you get an explanation and then it just loops right back on itself very cool yeah. comic it's a very very cool i really like that one i'm just wondering why when i was when i was a pro wrestler why I didn't call myself monster muscle man that sounds like a great name there you go <laughs> triple, triple m yeah it would have yes. gotten over it writes itself but, butts and seats uh. <laughs> 
All right, let's move on to our episode ranking uh, a rating. We'll do uh, we do zero to five, five being the best, zero being the worst. You can do half points. Uh, Joe, what do you give this episode? No pressure. Uh, I'm, I'm glad uh, I don't have to do this. I'm a, I'm a Mick Garish shell, so five out of five. <laughs> <laughs> With a fall in line. All right, Maynard. Um. Well, I'm not a Mick Garish show, <laughs> but uh, um, I, I'm going to kind of put this in the middle of the road. I am going to go 2.5 because of, while I think it is fun and lively and entertaining, I don't know that it holds up against the best of the tales of the crypt, uh, but I also don't think it's among the worst. So I'm going to put it right in the middle of the road, 2.5. All right, Jody. I, I'm a little you know, unsure how to do this because Joe has already mentioned that Mick will probably be listening to this at some point. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know... That, that adds an extra layer of pressure. But I no, mean, I, I really did enjoy this one. Uh, for me, it's four. And, and Mick's oh, already got Maynard's name on his list, so... Uh, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm with Jody. I, I, I give it a solid four. I think it was a really fun episode. Like I said, I love when it looks like a comic book and feels like an EC comic. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed this. Um, yeah, I love it when we're all a hive mind, but I'll go with four as well. It just feels like the right space for it. It's... Not the best, best, but it's highly entertaining. Uh, they go big, and that's what I want for my tales. I, I feel like I'll, since I'll, episode, I'll go to three. I'll go. I'll go up to three. <laughs> <laughs> hey, pressure well, peer convinced pressure. me. I feel mm-hmm. like since episode one, we peer pressured Jason and just giving higher reviews because Jody and I are usually like, yeah, it was fun. I loved it. Five or, or something high. Well, Jason be like, eh, I don't know, two. <laughs> that's well, all you guys are last. the. Ex- you're the experienced it's, ones. It's so, it's so it's paced so fast. It's like mm-hmm. hard not yeah. to just enjoyably watched it it was yes it was over before you even realized it like began it, you know it sounds really dumb but in this fast-paced world we live in with all these distractions when i can sit through something and i didn't like i ever look at my watch or look at the time i know yeah. I, I know it was good because i know i had fun watching it i know that i know that like and then at no point was i like oh god there's still because there have been episodes i've watched and i'm like fuck there's still eight minutes left in this episode like what is happening <laughs> all right and now we'll kick it over to our friend al for his anecdotes Hi, it's Alan. Whirlpool started as a personal challenge. I wanted to see if I could write an entire crypt episode within one working day. Our process went like this. After Gil and I outlined a script together, I would kick out a first draft. Then Gil and I would consult and collaborate on the script from there. On average, producing the first draft of a crypt script took a week or so. But like I said, I wanted to crunch that whole process down into one day. And indeed, Whirlpool went from outline to finished first draft in about 10 hours, one working day, literally. We made tweaks to the script along the way, as there always are. But for the most part, Whirlpool's shooting script was 90% of that first draft. Mick Garris is a great director, and that's an understatement. He's a great visual storyteller. He knows how to mix horror with humor, and he's always thinking outside the box, casting included. I have one quibble with the whole episode, and it's the casting. Rita Rudner was a curveball, a little further outside the box than I was comfortable with, I'll admit. I bumped on casting a woman to play a period character where the character would almost assuredly be male. Now, the fact that it's a woman, that wasn't so much my issue. It was the fact that we never explain it. Remember, this was almost 30 years ago. We weren't even remotely woke. Yet all the characters behave as if Rita's character being a woman was normal when it wasn't. It's a writer thing. To me, everything's got to make sense. Everything has to be logical or the world that I've imagined, it begins to come apart. I never found peace with it. And I'm not that good of an actor that I could cover it up. I think Mick's way of making it up to me was to cast me. 
Let's talk about that for a second. I actually did think, when I first started out after college, that I'd be an actor. I majored in drama at Vassar, Meryl Streep's alma mater. At Vassar, they all knew Meryl was the real deal when she was a kid. Well, I ain't Meryl. I made it through one audition after Vassar, and I thought, this is bullshit. What kind of an idiot earns their living this way? I will act, I told myself, when someone asks me nicely to do it. So I turned to the only other skill set I sort of kind of had, writing. Yeah, stupid, huh? Luckily, that worked out in the end. Day came when Mick Garris asked me so nicely to act in the episode. I said yes. See you next time. And we're back. Mondo, <laughs> give us the... Those were great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's funny? Mondo, we got this one, song of the day. We got this one far enough in advance. It would have been kind of cool just to play it right now. I could have just added it in, but... <laughs> yeah, actually, I do already have it, guys. Yeah, oh, can, we, can we play it? Yeah, we it? just listened to it, guys. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't have it on my computer yet. Um, I, I told Jason last week I had a great song picked out, and it was going to be non-metal for once. And then I was like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to do a metal song again because I love metal. So uh, you'll never know what song I was going to pick. Yeah, now I'm, I'm curious now. You're not going to know was, the band. It was going to be TLC's Waterfall. It's fine. Not uh, now. Uh, God. TLC, the best thing about TLC is Michael Keaton and the other guys. <laughs> If you guys don't know what that is, please go watch the other guys. It's so great. But uh, it's Michael Keaton basically quoting TLC songs and claiming he's never heard the band. <laughs> the whole movie. But uh, it, it's a band called Napalm Death. Anybody familiar with Napalm yep. Death? Oh, really? Okay. So, so back in, uh, they released their first record in 1987 called Scum. Very, uh, you know, young guys writing very, you know, anti-establishment records. And uh, they wrote a record, on this album they have a song called Caught. In a dream. And, uh, and, and the lyrics go, Surrounding spectacle to occupy curiosity nullifies the need to face reality. Forms of escapism and entertainment occupy and disable thought. And uh, they're, they're ahead of their time, I guess. But now they're a bunch of old grumpy guys are still super left-wing and still talk shit about the establishment, so I still kind of love Napalm Death. And to put it in perspective, this whole album, it's like 30 songs, and it clocks in at like 31 minutes. Oh wow! <laughs> so it was just breakneck speed. They're kind of the innovators of grindcore. Uh, Bill Steer was from uh, you know started the band Carcass, as you guys obviously know that um, oh, yeah. one of the one, yeah, one, of, the, one <laughs> of the founding members of Carcass. And, and then what's kind of cool too is the uh, the singer on this, um, Lee Harris, I think his name was. He ended up starting like a power metal band called Cathedral, which was a complete left turn from what this band was. But uh, uh, Napalm Death Scum is considered now like a classic in the in the genre. And I, when I first bought this album, I bought it. I think it was like twelve or thirteen. I was like, what the fuck is this? I wasted $13. I was pretty pissed off when I bought the CD because I'm like, I just didn't, I'm like, what the, like, what the fuck is this noise? And then over years, I, I actually really kind of fell in love with it and, and kind of was one of those gateway albums for me to get into deeper and, and darker metal. Uh, so Song of the Week is Caught in a Dream by the band Napalm Death off their first record, Scum. Thank you, Mondo. All right, Jody, do you have some uh, horror news for us? Yeah. So uh, I've got some uh, some of the recent releases that have come out in this last week or so. Uh, we've got the unrated cut of Megan, which if you enjoyed Megan, a little more blood, a few more f bombs. Uh, but yeah, no, I I like both versions. It's it's barely any difference, but uh, almost almost indecipherable. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I do want to. I've been looking. I'm looking for an excuse to watch Megan again since I saw in the theater. So I mean, it's, it's fun. Good, it's a good excuse. I, I did it. Yeah. I did it on Friday night with my wife, and uh, you know, it's she. She enjoyed the hell out of it too. My parents liked Megan. 
That's they awesome. Over the weekend and they text me and they, they, they enjoyed it quite a bit. So yeah, big, big Megan fans in the Russo household. Uh, a couple more that have come out. We've mentioned knock at the cabin already has come out on VOD just kind of out of nowhere. So I, I was, wasn't expecting to see it so quick, but it's already yeah. out on VOD. Cocaine Bear just arrived in theaters. Oh, I can't wait to see that. I'm so oh, yeah, excited. I'm so excited. excited. Absolutely. Super fun. It's super fun. I mean, go in with reasonable expectations, oh, yeah. but uh, it's it's and the uh, the scene where the bear catches up with the ambulance, chef's kiss. I, I looked at that trailer. I'm like, this is like Jason X with a bear. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm <laughs> Does it shove someone's face in um <laughs> in uh, hydro whatever? No spoilers. It, no spoilers. It, it, in the trailer, when the bear is having a narrative with himself, I'm like, I cannot wait to see this movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also on Netflix, we have a ghost has released. That's the one we've mentioned before with David Harbor, mm-hmm. kind of a uh, modern Beetlejuice type thing. Yep. Looks like good fun. Uh, more horror news, though. <laughs> in the wake of Cocaine Bear, the Asylum has just <laughs> re- released a poster for Attack of the Meth Gator. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which is, I believe, um, I, I believe that's Florida State Animal. That's the that's that's the national um food of Florida State and the national animals so are the animals. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the asylum known for all of their schlocky movies. But I mean, I just you got to be entertained by attacking the dude. Meth it, if there's not some like methed up drug addict like that has a standoff with the gator and has a one on one fight with them, I'm gonna be so disappointed. Somebody, yeah. somebody this, on bath salts versus a gator on meth. You it, know, it, yeah. in an old dra- in an old drained pool. Like uh, it's that, a, I have this vision. <laughs> that'll be the sequel. It'll be like uh, it'll be like bath salts barracuda <laughs> versus meth gator. <laughs> <laughs> Patent pending. All right, a couple more things. The, the 1999 the horror movie The Haunting is getting a 4K Ultra HD upgrade from Scream Factory. Nice. So. Uh, <laughs> I have a very funny story about that movie. So I had, um, you know that surgery uh, that Stone Cold Steve Austin and Edge and they all got on their neck? I got it on my neck too. Ooh. Uh, Congrats. And, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm in a fun club. Uh, but when I was waiting for the surgery, in a couple weeks waiting for the surgery, um, anytime my – I couldn't lay down. And anytime my neck went to one side or another, I would jolt awake from pain. So I basically had to like try to like sit sleep sitting up, right? So the only two movies that seemed to be on HBO at that time, because this is you know before streaming, uh, really, it was was uh, was Die Hard with a Vengeance and The Haunting. Uh-huh. And so I drift <laughs> off to sleep watching Die Hard to wake up to the fucking haunting. <laughs> it was literally a nightmare. I can never watch that. Never watch that movie again. Uh, but now you can see it in 4K. No. You can no. see right. Catherine Zeta-Jones in, in all her glory. Look, I love Catherine Zeta-Jones. It's an amazing cast, but like, yeah. oh God, if you had to watch that, bits and pieces of that movie all throughout the night for basically like two weeks straight, you will literally, it's hell. It's yeah. girl hell. Uh, and, and compared to you know the fifties movie and to yeah. the book, it's just yep. it's a it's oh, a pale yeah. comparison. It, it, that got uh, compared a lot to House on Haunted Hill because both those remakes came around the same time, but House on right, Haunted yeah. Hill was just far superior. I yeah, love it. Always oh, get different. And it had Chris Kattan. Yes. Yeah. And well, Fancy Jansen. 
House on the Haunted Hill was uh, produced by Gil Adler. That's right. I was about to say, I always get the haunting mixed up with all of the uh, Dark Castle pictures that came out about that same time. But uh, yeah, Gil Adler. Oh, it was was DreamWorks. It was DreamWorks, which is why uh, DreamWorks is also the studio on Mike Flanagan's The Haunting of Hill House. Mm. Okay. All the same source material, which DreamWorks controls. Anyway. Good book, too. All right, a couple other quick things. Um, We have got a new horror movie being developed by the director of Deadpool 3 about lawn gnomes. So that's something to look forward to. I'm I'm in. I'm in. Hey, I'm I'm, I'm into this new era of we're back to having fun with horror again, and that's how we get movies like Megan and Malignant. And give me a lawn gnomes horror movie. Yes, do it. R.L. Stein made it work in Goosebumps. That's right. Revenge of the Gnomes. Will work again. Uh, we also have Blumhouse has announced they have a new subsidiary, Blumhouse Games, to produce original horror video games. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all I'm I'm all for more horror of any kind. And if Blumhouse mm-hmm. is involved with video games, I just I can't see that not at least leading to a handful of fun games that I'll enjoy. So we could have the. Um, Wanaverse, yeah, Mario Kart game with like <laughs> oh, sick. Gabriel oh, and Megan, and um, that the guy looks like Darth Maul yeah. throwing yeah, uh, yeah. From girl shells at each other. Oh, the guy from Creep. <laughs> uh, you've got the Dead Silence Mark. car. Where, was it Peach Fuzz? <laughs> just give, give us a Mortal Kombat with all those characters. That's oh my that's god, was, yes. Yeah, I was seeing Smash Brothers with yeah. well, there, there is an independent game someone made years yeah. ago with all the horror characters in it and the fighting game. And I can't remember what it's called. And it was it wasn't amazing, but God, it was a, a, such a cool like little independent labor of love that someone wrote. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. Voorhees was in, was he in Mortal Kombat eleven? Yeah. Voorhees was, yeah. Freddy was. In eleven. Um yeah. The negative on Freddy was they used the new version of Freddy from yeah. the newest uh, the the, the oh. Platinum Dunes remake. So he doesn't oh. have like the Robert England's not voicing him. So it's uh, but it's still cool to play oh. as Freddy. Adjacent, a Leatherface is in uh, Mortal Kombat, Predator, oh. RoboCop, Rambo. Yeah, I don't think I have all these characters. I I think I need to go update my well, Mortal Kombat. Well, list. Yeah. Buy all the DLC. Well, they were yeah, all in DLC. different versions. Bye. Uh, no, bye. they were all in different versions. Though I think Freddy was in like the like Mortal Kombat Nine or something. I hate yeah. when they do that. Yeah. I hate when they do that. It was like I don't have an Xbox, <laughs> I don't, but I want to play a Spawn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hate that. Um, and one last bit of news while we're talking about Leatherface is by the time this comes out, uh, our good friends over the How Not to Make a Movie podcast will have released their tribute to Toby Hooper, um, Ooh, where nice. they um, got Kim Heinkel and a couple other people that worked with Toby to uh, kind of talk about working with him. And then, as we know, uh, Al and Gil also worked with Toby for Tales and some other stuff. They were just good friends of his. So they talk about their relationship with him. And then me and Mondo worked, went on. So just give a little bit of uh, the fan uh, take on uh, Toby and his uh, his filmography. So another guy, with, uh, another guy who worked with Robert England too. Yeah. Yes. Alive. Yeah, I watched Eat Alive for the first time to prepare, <laughs> and oof, that's a movie. That's a, that's a fun one. I only watched that a few weeks ago too because we did uh, we did the new Texas Chainsaw. So oh, cool. I, I, was, uh, nice. I was watching. I was watching that one. I, I like that one. I'm I'm in the, I'm in the minority. But I liked it. I liked. Did it. Uh, was the new Texas Chainsaw guilty or not guilty? <laughs> 
it was found guilty and it was <laughs> I'd that's agree. hard for me to say but here's here's my problem with it okay so it's playing with the idea of leatherface being um like sympathetic right because he's yeah. the victim of gentrification mm-hmm. but yep. the kids coming in are all like they're all like poor yeah. and yeah. like mm-hmm. it's it, it, like mm-hmm. if rich land developers came in to steal leatherface's house and he spent an hour and a half chopping them up we'd all be like <laughs> cool it would be mm-hmm. the menu with Leatherface, but instead <laughs> it's like it's like a bunch of um like people of color and trans like teenagers coming in, and it's like Leatherface. They need a place to go too. Like don't, <laughs> don't be like this Leatherface. Um, and also, how old was he? Like he had to be eighty or eighty-six. He's not running anymore. Like even Michael Myers, <laughs> like wasn't running. This dude was sprinting with a chainsaw. In McGrave, he has has a walker with his tennis balls, like just going really fast. After yeah, <laughs> with little, yeah, like, little chainsaws on the end. Little ch- yeah, there's, little tiny there's, chainsaws. There's four, there's four sequences in the movie though that I think are genuinely pretty good. The the corn cornfield scene. Yeah, I like yes. the cornfield bit. Yep. That was that was great. Uh, when when he first like is punching through the the bedroom, that that was pretty good. Uh, obviously the bus. Yes. Yes. The bus. And then the, the ending was, was great. Yep. You know, I uh, actually, yeah. I, compared to pretty much when he gets, most the, head, of the, when he gets the head at the end, loved that where, yeah. where he got the head at the end, but there's several co- times where it was just like, drive away now. You don't <laughs> even know, you don't even know this know. woman. And also I hate that they bring her back and she doesn't actually get like a Laurie Strode-esque redemption. Yeah. Yes. Right. She comes back to be victimized. Yes. So. Yeah, if they would have cut out that character, I think it would actually been really, really good. I say keep her, but really? let her come back and actually kill Leatherface. He's 86. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was too Halloween 2018. Yeah. I, it I, is. And I, that would is. Have, I would have preferred her not been in it too. I think, but you hit the nail on the head. It, it, it tries to do uh, two different types of politics in one movie, and it yeah. just doesn't just doesn't mix well you know slasher movies are very much about right like the conservative evil force coming after the liberal party and teens right yeah and they tried to do the conservative evil force versus like also obnoxious liberal teens like it like it was was a very strange uh mesh of politics it didn't didn't come out in the wash i think the way any of us would have hoped it would have now been. I just picture what they could have done with like a bunch of like old executives sitting around a table talking about how they're gonna come to it and Leatherface just kicks the door open and starts massacring them. Ah, oh, yeah. so good. That'd be sick. That'd be sick. <laughs> um, you know. Uh yeah, I would like that. As yeah. far as hard news, did you guys already cover Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey? Oh yeah, we talked about that. We talked about that nauseum. All right, I I only got to go see that last weekend, so it is still new to me. I haven't. I I don't think anyone's seen it here yet, right? I've seen it. Yeah, you've seen it, but it's um, it's without. I won't give a ton of spoilers. It is not trying to be funny. It's not a comedy, so it is incredibly straightforward slasher. That wants you, if you're gonna take any humor from it, to eventually at the end going, "This is Winnie the Pooh doing this." Like so, it just uh, so. Besides that, it's incredibly bleak and gruesome, gory horror that just kind of hopes that it's like unorthodox choice of antagonist is gonna bring the charms. I'm, uh, well, I mean, I mean, I, I, st- I mean, none I still of that turns fun. me off. I, I no, give it I... a thumb up because it is still violent. The little animated bit that gives the in the beginning that gives the history and origin of the Hundred Acre Wood is pretty cool um i'm in you know i, I yeah. still um i still recommend the mean one because it, it is just so it's actually really funny 
Um, but still doing that, the slasher thing and kind of going over the top. But it depends still manages it's to come be. Out. Have what? they released? It depends what it's going to. Have they released it for mass yeah. consumption yet? Yeah, yeah. Like I can buy it on I think, VOD. I haven't I found so. it. Anywhere. I haven't seen it. I haven't either, found yeah. it anywhere. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I think it's only been released in like those early release. Type yeah, I think early? it had a okay. little theater run, and no one's distributed it yet. Right. Okay, well, I saw the festival, so I guess. But I will it. watch it when it's out. Oh, yeah. me too. Yeah. I, rec- I highly recommend that. And I love um, David Howard Thornton, so I think he's going to be. Yeah. I think he looks great in that. Yeah. All right, let's uh, round out with our uh, dad advice. Uh, Joe and Maynard, I don't know if you guys are fathers, but if you have any mentor advice. I'm an, I'm and... an unky. Unky, okay, okay. give us some unky yeah. advice. Give us some advice. Funko advice. Uh, well, some... I'm a dedicated unky. Uh, advice, um, uh, let the kids watch scarier movies when they're young. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, my best friend, he's a dad, and he's got two kids. One's uh, nine, he's got a nine-year-old girl, six-year-old boy, and... Um, uh, and I live with him, so I, that's why I'm unky. Uh, so I, I spend a lot of time with the kids. And the little boy, he can't stand horror movies. But we let uh, the nine-year-old stay up, and, and we watched The Ring recently. Um, and it was probably the scariest thing she'd seen yet. But, like, I would show her tons of Are You Afraid of the Dark? And she'd just go, that's not scary. That's not mm. scary. We watched Lights Out, and she got through that just fine, too. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, it's time for The Ring. Let's do The Ring. So we watched that. And she liked it. She did have to hide during a couple of things, but overall she got through it. And I would say her threshold of horror movie has raised. It will now be harder to scare her, and, and she'll she'll get into even deeper and darker stuff uh, pretty soon. I'm pushing for The Descent next. Ooh. Uh, oh, wow. That's a hard one. <laughs> wow. It's Is not he, my kid. I don't he, have to pay for that. Uh, <laughs> um, you know what, though? I, I think The Descent might hit harder when you get older because you get that feeling of claustrophobia, yeah. and you learn the real monsters of the humans. But I think as a kid, like I would kind of dig that as a creature feature. Yeah, yeah, I think the only worry would be like the gore, but like that's that's yeah. probably not that big. Uh, I think we haven't done the sixth sense either, and I think that's one of the last like yeah. PG 13, 13 ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ring uh, ruined horror movies for my wife, like, like, <laughs> off horror pretty much like forever. I have to basically screen horror movies. And decide if she'll watch them or not before she'll look at this. I, uh, I will fully admit the scaredest I've ever been in the movie theater is watching The Ring. Yeah. And this was like opening weekends, packed theater. It scared the shit out of me. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen the whole movie since. It's a really well made movie. Great, yeah. it's got a, it's yeah. got the cheat sheet of the of Ringu to follow, but like. Well, if, because if you've never seen anything like that before, you don't know there's yeah. no what's coming, what you're in for. It's it really I, is. Well, even, I agree. even with Ringo, I love Ringu, but I think sometimes when you have to read all the subtitles, it kind of takes you out of some stuff in the, in the in the film a little bit because your brain's constantly trying to process the words that are going through. Whereas the Ring didn't have that hurdle. Um, no. I think Ringu's probably a little bit better, but the Ring is fantastic. Yeah, so I'd, I'd give some uh, dad dad advice now. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So I'm also not a father, uh, and I am also an uncle to to several of my friends' kids. But I was actually – can I turn this around and maybe ask you guys for some yeah. advice? Yes. Okay, so he's got a, uh, a two-year-old, and she went to daycare, school, whatever you would call it, right? Uh, apparently she beat up a bunch of kids today. <laughs> hold on, <laughs> hey, hold on, hold on. A bunch of kids? Like – I, I, she, I literally she, got a text while we were talking, and he said, Emma beat up all the kids in class today and made them cry. 
So, uh, was, what do you what do you do in that situation? Is, is, like is she John Wick? Situation? Like, no, I think it was like that. Threw them all over the top rope. Uh, I, I think it was the parody that parody of the slap, right? Where mm-hmm. like slaps one person, the next person walks in, slap, slap, slap. All the cops walk in, slap. The teacher walks in, slap. Is it because he's watching wrestling and she's picking it up? Like what's going on here? Like did you like, hit an RKO? Oh, we got no details. Then, yes. <laughs> yeah. Help me, dads. <laughs> Dude, so my, my daughter's 20, so if she like beat up everyone she works with, I would like fucking take her out for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I would need the context of what the kids were doing. If they were yeah, that, that's really who, who started this? First. Right. How'd we get here? I, I I wish I wish I had that information. I I just I saw it and it felt appropriate to get your opinion. Like I need to, I, I want to I just want to give her an entrance theme and a title belt. <laughs> and call so my, my my unky advice is to get her into martial arts because one yeah. it'll make her better at hitting, which she enjoys. Oh, yeah. But yeah. it will teach her control and know that she doesn't always have to hit to solve her problems. You're, that's well, actually I, my, great my advice. My kids are all in martial arts, so yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. I'm in martial arts. Told me not to hit people too, so I'm pretty happy with that. I think that's actually. I think that's really great advice, guys. I will pass that along because uh, all so far I've said was I'm a proud Uncle Joe. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really depends. Was she? What, what was the truth? I mean, okay, just to get take it to a bit well, of a serious point. It depends on like what was the trigger. Was she being provoked? Were were these kids? Was she defending herself? There's a lot to the story, or maybe she was, you know, being malicious. So there's, you know, Man, a lot of sides to these things. I need to know the follow up on this. So, like, I've never yeah, wanted more of a follow up in my life to any story than this story. <laughs> like, like, I'll get leave? some more information. I'll pass the martial arts thing along, and uh, we'll see. We'll see what else I get. So. I just imagine a little girl leaving carnage in her wake. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just it's. Emma beat up all the kids in class. Yeah, all, yeah. <laughs> How many kids are in her class? I, I wish I could tell you, man. I wish I could the, tell you. The but, thing but, is, if there's that many of them, why didn't they just attack at the same time? This is the Jackie Chan noodle, <laughs> noodle time problem all over again. It's like a ninjas. Kick them all at she's, once. Uh, I she's, mean, Rhea, she's Rhea Ripley going from number one to 30. <laughs> yeah, or I'll say exactly. maybe they're all members of the Foot Clan. Yeah, and she's yeah, just defending yeah. the city. Like, oh, no. Yeah, were they all putties? <laughs> she punched yeah. them in the sea. <laughs> no, right. I, I think Mars Arts is great though, because like realistically, man, like Ooh. it kills your ego real fast. Like if you if when you go in there and realize, oh wait, these people are better than me and can beat the crap out hey, of me if they wanted she's, to. She's well, two. Can you put someone that young? No, in prob- probably three. Probably three. Yeah, three. Yeah, three. Three. Like, yeah, some like intro yeah. or something. But also, yeah. yeah, whenever you go to a martial arts class. You're usually the worst one there the first day. So, yeah, it kind of teaches you that, you know, there's always sure, yeah. someone tougher than so, you. Yeah. My, my, my kids my kids do martial arts and actually teach classes in their dojo. And the youngest ones they have is three. And my daughter actually teaches three-year-olds. Oh, so, there yeah, there's, there's, there's good openings there. I've watched several YouTube videos of little little girls who do martial arts. And they bow to each other and almost fall over. It's adorable. Yeah, it's very funny. <laughs> very, very, very funny. But if they're two, what's the class? I don't know. Yeah, I don't, okay. I don't think it goes down to two-year-olds. And, and she's gonna be a black belt by the time she's five. But I mean, preschools <laughs> like, but preschools like five. So like, I don't know what her class is, or if it's a daycare. Or what. It's not about a daycare. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, that wraps up another episode. Robert, uh, Maynard, and Joe, Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you, Maynard? Oh, uh, well, um, you can follow us on Twitter at Reels of Justice, uh, Instagram at Reels of Justice. We have a Facebook page. 
uh, facebook.com slash reels of justice. We also have a group uh, called the Film Jurors where people are, are invited to come in and kind of weigh in on their verdicts of films. So that's a good w- place to find us. Um, and then you could just find our podcast basically everywhere there is podcasts. Just search for Reels of Justice uh, and and you'll find us. So um, yeah, we, we've got a, a good back catalog. We're in our third season now, coming up to our fourth probably midway of the year. Um, and uh, and technically no signs of stopping unless they start only making really great movies. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah, that'll <laughs> never happen. Not with Meth Gator on the way. <laughs> All right, Joe. Uh, you can find me pretty regularly on the Postmortem with Mick Garris podcast. I'm the host of the AMA, the Ask Mick Anything episodes. Uh, so you can find me there. Uh, I also have another podcast uh, that I'm on called Hollywood Hangover, where we talk about recent movies and how they're potentially going to shape the business side of the industry. Uh, So you can check me out there and you can find me on Twitter at Joe Russo tweets and on Instagram at Joe Russo Graham. And if you haven't seen Nightmare Cinema, I think Nightmare Cinema is a fun little anthology. I didn't, I didn't realize until, until you went on, you said not May 3rd. I went, that's so, uh, that's so familiar. And I have seen Nightmare Cinema. I really, I really enjoyed it. I, I loved, I loved the, uh, the first segment with the, with the, I was waiting until we had finished up to ask Mondo if you'd seen it because there's the third segment there's a priest and a bunch of little zombie girls yes. and the priest is killing the zombie <laughs> girls with a sword and I yes. think from what I've seen online, like that's a lot of people's least favorite, but man, that was my favorite. That like, it felt like <laughs> demons <laughs> or something yeah. like that. It, it's and really, that's, honestly, yeah. that's the beauty of the anthology. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Everyone can have their own favorite, and it's, that's yeah, totally yeah. okay. I, but, uh, man, but, I, I love that. I will segment. never tell you publicly which is my favorite but, because. I don't pick between my children, so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but they're but they're all enjoyable though. That that's the yeah, thing, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and that's what a lot of anthologies miss on. They're like, well, we have this one good segment. We'll just make an anthology, but that therefore suck. Mm. No, like that does not work. In, in Nightmare Cinema, they're all enjoyable. But yeah, I'm a fan of the priest one too. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. yeah. I've and, a lot. Uh, and a mild other shameless plug. I forgot. I I do have a YouTube project that I work on with my friend. Uh, it's called Trailer Trashed. And we watch trailers and we get trashed. Uh, and we kind of respond to the trailers like in real time, but kind of like Mystery Science Theater. So we kind of talk over them, but uh, it's not a gimmick. We are really very, very uh, inebriated when we do it. Um, so I don't talk about it a lot, but uh, it is called Trailer Trash. You can find it on YouTube. Um, and, and we've done a lot of the newer movies we talked about, like you know, like Winnie the Pooh and the Honey. And, and, and a lot of ma- most major trailers we've we've been doing for the past year or so. Uh, I'm going to check that out because that sounds like my favorite thing ever. Yeah, <laughs> They're really awesome fun title. if you're drunk, oh too. They're really fun. And what I like is we do them kind of in um, – in in pods right so within an hour we'll record maybe seven or eight of them and while we're having like three like three or four beers plus but then as we watch (laughs) as we watch the videos if you kind of watch them in order you can see us just degenerate (laughs) like worse and worse uh we did a valentine's day one recently and i gave my friend a big valentine's day heart full of nips and we proceeded to (laughs) Just drink all 14 nips in that heart over like, the course of the next 10 minutes. And by the end, we're just we're, – we finished all the videos, but then we went to do one of his Mario Kart videos. He has one called Blue Shelled where we just stream Mario Kart, and the footage was unusable. This is amazing. 
yeah. screaming. Yeah. And, and uh, the yeah, every time I try to do a podcast under any influence, I just can't. But, but this, yeah. this actually sounds like how I get by the end of most of our podcasts. We don't have guests. Yeah. <laughs> by the end, I'm drunk and trying to get Jason to tell me his fetishes. Like, <laughs> um, Oh, one more plug while we're at it. Our good friend Alyssa Gray has a new podcast diving into the history of werewolf cinema. And it's called The Silver Screen. So go check that out. The first episode's out now. The second one might even be out by the time you hear this. It's good. You guys should check it out. Yeah. Really good. Where will cinema speak you scary? All right. Well, next week we will be reviewing the episode. No one knows werewolf bar mitzvah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> men becoming wolves, wolves becoming men. Come on. <laughs> Okay, oh next week we'll be reviewing Operation Friendship. We appreciate everyone for listening. We'd really appreciate it if you'll give us a rating review on iTunes, a rating on Spotify, check out our Patreon for bonus content, and also check out our YouTube for videos of these podcasts. And with that, we thank you for listening to Dads from the Crypt. Goodbye. Count it. <laughs> Follow Dads from the Crypt on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or I will follow you to the grave. <laughs> no, seriously, you really should watch. But be careful what you ask for. You may get it. <laughs>